0: Amen. Wow. He is faithful. And uh, and actually, I'm so thankful for the resurrection because uh, last Sunday I was supposed to preach, and in the middle of the night, uh, death came to my door, at least in my mind, and uh, I said, if I've ever had demons, it sounded like that's what was coming out of me. Uh, not to be too descriptive, uh, but uh, was hit with sickness for a couple of days, uh, but recovered. And then Laura got it on the back end. So we've had kind of one of those weeks where we've got a lot of time with Jesus and with each other resting. Uh, but, you know, when I think about the resurrection, the deal is our hope is not in this life, number one. And there always is a resurrection. Therefore, it's never too late. Whether we have a little physical illness or whether we have a broken Piece of our lives, or a failure, or something, there's always a resurrection. It's never too late. Wherever you are today, I just again feel compelled by God to encourage you to believe again in the resurrection and in the resurrected Lord. All right. Well, hey, today we're talking about the names and nature of God. And um, for me, one of the ways that I learn about God is by being a parent and now being a grandparent. As I have uh, joyfully bragged many times, we have four grandsons and we are about to have our fifth grandchild, a little girl, could even be today, somewhere in the next couple of weeks, Lauren will be having our fifth grandchild. We're so excited about that. And uh, we have the privilege, all of them are here right now, actually, but uh, uh, our littlest guy, Jesse, uh, youngest grandson, he lives here, Brady and Lorna parents. There's uh, Jesse and I, I just sit there for a while, isn't he cute as all get out? <laughs> Amazing. The next picture is what one I want you to see. That's that, that pointing finger. So Jesse and I, we are bonded, right? So we're, we're big buddies. And when, when I go up to Brady and Lauren's house and he sees me through the window, he starts kicking his legs. And um, I run the door and then he immediately goes from mom to me. Now you would think, man, he must just really, really love me. And of course, that's how I take it. But as soon as I get in his arms, he goes from this to side, 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 side. He wants to go outside. And I'm the guy that always takes him there. Right? His parents are tired of taking him outside. They said the kid would live in a tent if he could because he doesn't ever want to be inside. But because a lot of life happens inside, the parents have to say no a lot. So I'm the yes man, I'm the outside guy. And um, so I'm good with that. Hey, I've got time. That's why I came to be with him. So uh, then it it goes from like running into my arms and pointing to now if we're in in a room together, let's just say we're in our kitchen and some of our family are there, he walks up without looking up and he just does this. And he knows that I'll scoop him up and then as soon as he's in my arms, then it's side, side, (laughs) outside. So we've got this thing going on. Well, um, a few weeks ago, Brady and Lauren went away for a few days and so we had, Jesse with us for several days. So I wasn't just the outside guy. I had to actually be the no guy, which was a shock to him, uh, that we didn't do everything that he wanted when he wanted. And uh, we had to learn some other aspects of our relationship, which were wonderful uh, um, and, uh, and beautiful. But we also, they were working on little hand signals. And if you know things when kids can't articulate words, just mom and dad want you to know there's some cool things. This means more, and this means thank you, and this means please. Please, and so we were training him to say please before he wanted his request, and so he got it. You know, kids are way smarter than you think they are. By the way, um, and um, and so whenever he'd want something, he would say he'd say he want to go side side, and I'd say Jesse, say please, and he would say please. And if I didn't respond immediately, you know, he would have a little meltdown because his deal was you said, say, please. So let's go. And he would go, please, please. (laughs) So he does please really, really fast because he wants an immediate response to whatever he requests. Well, as you can imagine, we're building our relationship and it's a delight to me as a grandparent to have a relationship with my grandson. But I, I often think how much God delights in us. And what begins is a simple request. For what we need or want turns into a breadth and depth of relationship, which is above and beyond what we could ask or think. It's not limited to just what we want or we need. God is so much more above and beyond what we could ask or think. And it takes a lifetime, an eternity, for us to see who He really is and everything that He really has for us. Our need is like the doorway into a relationship with a God that is above and beyond what we could ask or think. So you need salvation. You know Jesus is salvation. You need freedom from addiction. You know is the man of freedom. You need freedom from fear. So you learn aspects of God's character out of your need, but God never wants it just to end with your need. He wants it to be a forever ongoing relationship uh, of grace. And when I I was uh, looking this week at the names of God, and I ran into this one little uh, website. Uh, it's christiananswers.net. That means it was around for a long time. A .net's still out there. And it has 950 names of God. So you're like, wow, there's a few names of God out there, 950. So I started a little devotional on Instagram on the names of God. I'm on A, of course, because there's about 50 A's, 950 names of God. Now these names that you see thrown up here these are some of the names of God that I've used through the years to kind of activate my heart to begin the day because again whatever your need is God has named himself that and more. So let me give you an example so these some of the names of God he is Jehovah Jireh the God who provides. Provision today God, he's the God who provides. He's Jehovah Rophe, he's the God who heals. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. We're going to come back to that one. He's Jehovah Makedesh, the one who sanctifies, or other versions say he is our holiness. So, you know, have you ever felt unholy? Anybody ever felt unholy? Okay, good. Thank you. I feel like I'm among friends. Um, he is Jehovah Makedesh, God is able to make you holy, not by your efforts, but by your submission to His holiness. Woo, that's a different thing. It's always out of relationship. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Woo, need that, don't we? He is Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, I need a leader. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, um, which Jeremy preached on a couple weeks ago, our righteousness. He's the Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And again, I'm just scratching the surface. I was talking after the first service with somebody about the names of God, and I said, the wisest thing that God ever gave me, or the, the wisdom that God gave me, was many, many years ago, now 35 years ago, I decided that I'm going to start my day on meditating on an aspect of God's character in nature. That has been the most beneficial thing I've ever done in my walk with God. Because every day then my mind is renewed about who God says he is, not just who I am not. Right? You got it, you guys? You're not going to find what you need digging within yourself endlessly. You're gonna find what you need by looking up at God and his beauty and let that reflect in and work through you for his glory. It is God who is the center of the world. It is God who created you. It is God that understands you. It's God that has the way of escape. It's God that has a path forward. It's God that has hope and help for you. It's God that has everything that you need in Christ Jesus for those that trust in him the names of God, the unending grace of God. Well, today we're gonna focus on Jehovah Nisi, God my banner, or God my victory. So if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 17. Great story where God declares himself is Jehovah Nisi, our banner. All right, here we go. Moses and the children of Israel are tracking along here. They're about to have their first big battle. Uh, And not just an internal battle, but an external battle. And here we go. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 17 of Exodus. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Everybody say, boo Amalek. Bad, bad people. We don't need those people around. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. When he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone, and wherever rock or stone is used, that is Jesus. It's a type and shadow of Jesus. The Old Testament all points to redemption, always points to Jesus. So whenever you see rock or stone, you can translate that that Jesus. So he took a stone, a rock, a symbol of Jesus, and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it The Lord is My Banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. All right. The Lord, uh, Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. Now, again, just for a little description, banner is where if you've seen in in, uh, uh, stories of battle, they run out with the flag of their country. That flag carrier is what the troops rally around for country, right? And when they win a victory, then they plant the flag, that is a banner. That's a, that's the victory symbol of of a victory for a natural army or the way that things have been done in history. And in the way in Israel, this was the same deal. The banner of the Lord is what they would run into battle with and it was what they would gather under and what they would rally to. And you know, if somebody was carrying the banner and everybody was rallying around that and they were to be taken out, if they were to die, then somebody else would pick up the banner and keep going. Do you know from generation to generation, God is looking for banner carriers. One goes down, another gets up. One goes down, another gets up. Because this gospel, this banner, this victory of God must always be declared for the glory of God for every generation, every household, every city on the planet for the glory of God. He is our banner. He is our victory, and we carry that name again this is not about political statements this is about in the spiritual realm as the people of god as the army of god against wickedness and darkness we live under the banner of god jehovah nisi and we rally to him day by day to get strength for the victory that he has for us now before we break this story down in depth let me just give you a little review of history which is always good And that is this. Remember, the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, and they cried out for a deliverer. These guys, 400 years in bondage, and they cried out for a deliverer. So let me say to you guys again, I've said it many times. Wherever you are in your journey and however you got there, God responds to the hungry and the humble and brings help not to those who are perfect, not to those who've got it all together, not to those who are in a situation uh, that is uh, uh, pleasing to someone, but God meets the humble and the hungry. If you need help, God is your helper. They were in slavery. They needed deliverance. They cried out, God raised up Moses. And he would take, uh, and then, you know, uh, if you guys remember this story, of course, in the the 10 plagues, uh, to convince Pharaoh to let him go, Moses had this rod in his hand, the staff of God, and every time he would use that, some miracle would happen. the power of God would be released. the staff was the authority of God. This is going to come up later. and so as, as finally Pharaoh says, "Okay, get out of here. you guys are gone um, after the killing of the firstborn sons they they sent him out, and Moses stands at the at the Red Sea, this waterway to get into What would eventually be the wilderness to the promised land. And he stands there all night long with the rod of God, with the authority of God in the air. Moses stands there all night for the waters to be pushed through. And then it makes a pathway for some people say up to 3 million people to come through the place of deliverance. Isn't that amazing? One guy's authority in God, one guy's willingness to stand in the presence of God made a way for 3 million to be set free. Remember, the brokenness of one causes the blessing of millions. Whatever God does in you, he will also do through you beyond what you could ask or think if you're willing to stand all the way through to victory. So he stood, they made a victory and then Pharaoh kind of said, we're going to go get them and chase them back down. And they come and the waters engulf them and the enemies of God are destroyed. And so here they are. So they're out of slavery and now they are sons and daughters of a victorious King. And now it's time to learn and to grow. I talked about little Jesse. He's about 16 months old right now, but he is in training And he will be in training the rest of his life, but especially these first years, he is in training. So it is daily lessons to learn and to grow and to develop. We are in training with him, supporting his parents in that journey. And when the training gets a little overwhelming for us, we just hand them back to the parents. So this is a great job being a grandparent on the training side of this. So, uh, but anyway, remember, so now the sons and daughters, these the, the children of Israel, they've been in slavery. Now they got to learn what it means to be a son, to not live in slavery anymore, to not go back to their old habits. So now they got to be trained. So God tests them. And there are kind of three very quick tests I want to go through. He tests them at first that they the, the water that they had was bitter. And they complained to Moses and saying, what kind of a deal with this? We want to go back to slavery because the waters are bitter here. And Moses then does a miracle, he heals the, cleanses the water and says, now God has cleansed the water to show you that he is Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. What is bitter water in your life, if you will cry out to God, will become sweet water and will be transformed in your understanding of his character." When you stay bitter, you stay in the waters of brokenness. You do not find the healing of God and the sweetness of God. And what is your greatest bitterness will become your greatest victory if you trust in Jesus. So they see the sweet water God reveals to Jehovah Rophe. Then they're hungry and they say, God, we we need food as if he didn't didn't know that and wasn't going to provide for them. So they complain. So God sends manna from heaven. And they called it uh, like a coriander seed, and they said it was sweet to the taste. It was like a a Krispy Kreme donut that was healthy for you every day. Isn't that that's glorious to me? That's a glorious thought. Every day I could eat Krispy Kreme donuts without any impact, but grace. Oh, I love that. Maybe that's true. Oh, well, anyway, okay. So, a donut that's good for you. And then they complain, well, we want some meat. So quail fall from heaven. Now remember we told you the story that everything points to Jesus. Jesus says, out of your belly will throw living uh, uh Waters of living water. When we see water, it speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus will send for the believers. When we see bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The manna from heaven was signifying the coming of Jesus to be the bread of life. When quail would fall, Jesus said this, my meat is to do the will of God. All right. So these different tests are pointing to the future, but also taking care of the present. And then this next test in Exodus 17, before we jump into more details of our story for today, in the the first of of Exodus 17, they come again to a place where they don't have any water. And they're griping and complaining again. All right, now I just wanna set up the scene. They were in slavery. God did 10 incredible miracles to get them out. The Red Sea had been parted. It hadn't been that long ago. Three million people walked through the water. They had bitter water that was made sweet miraculously. They literally had bread falling from heaven and they had meat coming down from heaven. And they're like, I can't believe it. You know, they don't, we don't have any water, this next stop, and, and we're we're gonna give up and we're gonna curse God and everybody and so on. They're throwing a fit again. And God says to Moses, take your authority and strike the rock that water might flow for their need. Now let me pause a moment. That rock is Jesus. He takes our sin, our grumbling and are complaining, and the authority that he has, and he allows himself to be struck so that you can have the water of life. Undeserved. Actually, you deserved exactly the opposite. They deserved no water, but he allowed himself to be struck. Jesus allowed himself to be hung on a cross to be struck by his own, to become sin on our behalf. We deserve death, and he allowed himself to be struck and water to come out, life to come out of his death so that we might be free because we couldn't get out of our sin, our grumbling and our complaining and our rebellion without a sacrifice. Jesus had to be struck so that water might flow and we may live. Man, never minimized the cross, you guys. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned on a way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all to fall on him. Jesus, he's worth everything. If you're listening online, he's worth everything right now. You need to know whatever your sin or failure is, he allowed himself to be sacrificed so that you might be freed. That is what we rejoice in. That's what drives us to long for him and and for purity, but it also gives us grace in our imperfections and power for today. Jesus. Wow. All right. So now back to our story, Jehovah Nisi, right? So here we go. So then they, they go into their first battle. So they've come out of Egypt They've had these tests in the inner man so that they now can trust God for victory in the natural. And you got these people called the Amalekites, not good people. They were always the, 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 the badgering and trying to destroy the children of Israel. Here's what it says about the Amalekites in Deuteronomy 25. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked you all the stragglers, everybody say stragglers, at your rear, when you were faint and weary, everybody say faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, and you must not forget So here's the enemies, the Amalekites. You will see uh, uh, throughout the Old Testament these guys showing back up because they didn't totally utterly destroy the Amalekites. Whatever you don't destroy or whatever you do not claim victory over or get victory over will end up taking you out in the end. If you guys remember the story of Saul, Saul was told to eradicate all the Amalekites. He left a few because he thought it was pleasing to the people around him. And ultimately, in the end, the Amalekite is what killed him. Jesus has provided victory over sin. But when we allow sin to run rampant in our lives and do not walk in the grace of God and apply the victory of God, that becomes the Amalekite to us that eventually takes us out. And here's when we're most susceptible to the Amalekites in our lives or the, the sin in our lives. It's very here. It says, when they were stragglers, when they were pulled away from the people of God and the purpose of God, they were susceptible to the brokenness of the world. When they were faint and weary, they were susceptible. It says, after the, tempta- and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, It says the enemy was waiting then again for a more opportune time. Do you know that the enemy is waiting for an opportune time when we are straggling, when we are faint or weary, or when we are underestimating the Amalekites? And let me just say to everybody, again, in this room, we all have Amalekites. The enemy knows your weakness. If you say, well, I don't know what they are, ask your friend, your neighbor, your spouse. They'll tell you what they are. Everybody's got them. We live in a broken world. It's not that we don't have them, but the more we're aware of them and our need for the grace of God, the more we declare victory over them and we walk in that which God has called us to. So the Amalekites have no rule over our lives. God has provided destruction of the Malachites in our lives if we will partner with Him. So, what does that practically look like when we are straggling, pulling away, or when we are weary or faint? What are some kind of basic Amalekites in our culture? The scripture says very simply in um, the parable of the seed and the sower, we talked about this a few weeks ago, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, cares of the world. They begin to to infiltrate our lives. First John says this, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Very practically, that could be TV, media, Internet. It can be from just blipping out to really dark and nasty bondage it could be alcohol taken outside of context it could be drugs taken for comfort it could be relationships that are outside the bounds of how God intended and called us to walk out our lives it could be materialism and the possession of more things man it we can we can worship and idolize just about anything right but know your own Amalekites so they don't rule over you because God has given you victory over them. Greater is he is in you than he is in the world. As we submit to God and see him as our victorious warrior, he has already won the victory. So walk in it, the scripture says, because God desires freedom and not slavery for you. So he's teaching them how to fight, how to deal with the Amalekites. And then Here's how God says he's going to do it. Um, Back to chapter 17 in verse 9. Uh, He says this, Then, um, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out in the fight uh, with the Malachite. Tomorrow I'll stand up on the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So God chooses Joshua and his men. Now we talked about the names of God, but remember the Bible is amazing. If you're bored with the Bible, you have not really understood the Bible because it's fascinating that every name means something. Joshua is, uh, uh, the root of that word is where we get the word Yahweh, which we end up with Jehovah, which we talked about recently. But the, the Joshua literally the translated is Yeshua. Yeshua is the name used for Jesus, means God is our deliverer. So God chooses Joshua, his name means deliverer, to bring deliverance, pointing also to the ultimate deliverer, who would be Jesus. Wow, amazing. So Joshua is chosen because he has been chosen from the beginning to call Yeshua. He is the deliverer. So we choose the deliverer to go out and fight. But he's because he's just a man, he needs the prayers and the authority of God to, to be victorious in the mission that God has for him. Nobody is victorious on their own there are things we're responsible for personally, but ultimately the mission of God is a we thing, not just a me thing. And Joshua's victory and his men's victory is going to be attached to the authority of God and to uh, the prayers of God's people. So Moses goes up uh, to the mountain and he is very confident that If he holds this staff of the authority of God, they are going to be victorious. Now, let me just talk about the authority of God just a moment. Uh, If you are a born again person, if you have the spirit of God living inside of you, there are two descriptors of power that is fully resident within you and available for you. Let me pause a second. Last question. Anybody feel powerless at times? I, I hate that. Does anybody feel powerless in Come on, just, you do or you don't? All right, okay, I do, uh, myself, all right. So there's two kinds of authority that then you're not aware of. Okay, so wake up, here we go. It says that the exousia power of God is that authority that's given to a policeman, the badge that he wears, or the authority given to a a leader in an army. They have authority, just speak the word and it will be done because they are in authority or people under authority, Jesus uses authority when he says to go make disciples of all nations. You have an author, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All exousia, I've been given legal authority. Now I'm giving it to you to go make disciples. Jesus also uses this word of authority in Luke 10, 19, where he says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. I have given you all a power and authority over the enemy by God's choosing and doing, not by your righteousness or unrighteousness, but by his choosing. He's put authority on your life. Nothing will harm you. Now, again, make sure that you don't miss when I said, if you're unrighteous and you traffic in the lanes of the enemy, you'll be overtaken by the enemy. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But your authority over the enemy is given by God, not earned by you. Okay. All right. Second place of Power authority is the dunamis of God, the Greek word dunamis, Acts 1 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So I've been given authority by God. Speaking of children, isn't that awesome? Speaking of the authority of God, you've been given authority over all the enemy. So when we say I, uh, I am helpless, you are not helpless, you feel helpless. You are challenged. Your life experience is uh, difficult right now, but you're not helpless if the Spirit of God lives within you because you've been given authority from God over the enemy. And then he says, I'll give you power, or dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, will come on you to be a witness to declare the glory of God and to have power over all the enemy. So Moses is the guy in the Old Testament, he has this authority, he gave the authority to Joshua to have victory over the Malachites, and he was going to go before God with that authority, and every time he would lift his hands and honor and acknowledge the authority of God, there would be victory, and when his hands would get tired, they would be overrun by the enemy, all right? So my my encouragement again to you is you have authority, so we run to the battle, not from the battle. You are never hopeless because hope lives within you. You never need to give up because the grace of God is not only in you, but there are people around you with the authority of God to stand with you. Right? So that's the setting. He's going up to the mountain, hands raised. He gets tired Anybody ever gotten tired? Glory wave. All right. We all get tired. So what does he do? This is so good. He sits down on a rock. Jesus said, come to me all weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. When you say, I am tired, Jesus, I am tired, God, we don't then blip out into the flesh. We sit down and rest in God. God and say, Lord, the victory is yours, the battle is yours. I am resting in you, sitting on the rock, and I'm gonna call some friends to stand with me in my weariness. It's not, again, just you there, but I'm now calling in friends, Aaron and her, to stand in weariness and to lift our arms up because we're called the body of Christ, and the bride of Christ, though it has individual implications, is a people called the people of God. We are a people. This authority is housed, obviously, individually, but it's a, a, in a community environment, and we desperately need each other. Um, uh, about, uh, uh, what is the way, it's at 16 months, Jesse's 16 months old. Um, it, first two weeks of his uh, life were pretty challenging. He couldn't eat, had difficulty, and several things going on. And in uh, Brady and Lauren, of course, when you're birthing a child, and then then you're not able to feed the child, and then things are struggling, and all the weariness of all that coming on at the same time. Um, it, we were a couple of weeks into this, and I went over to their house one night, and they were really down. They were discouraged, and and I understood. And it was getting a little desperate here. We've got to get food into this kid. And this happens to me every once in a while, but I've sat there in the living room and I thought, why am I sitting around here when we can get this victory in intercession? And I said, guys, you guys rest right here. I am marching around this house, praying in the spirit, calling out to God. I'm calling a few friends because this is ridiculous. This child's made to live. This child's made to eat and you're meant to have a victory. We're getting on with this. So I go marching around the house. I'm sure the neighbors were a little uh, concerned, but that's all right. Good for them. They need prayer too. If it bothers them, they join the crowd. So just marched around the house. And I, though I know there was not just me, there were other prayers going on their behalf. That was the breakthrough night. That was the breakthrough day. Because finally somebody said enough. Enough of the enemy ravaging our house. Enough of the enemy ravaging our lives. Enough of the enemy taking ground that he does not have. We are not helpless. We've been given the authority of God and the power of God to contend for the mission of God in our lives personally and among the people that we serve and that we are with. And Moses, again, had that authority. Aaron and her were also delegated that authority, as was Joshua. Now, let me say this to you. Wherever you are, that is your place to stand, to intercede and find victory. If you are a mom, there is a victorious space for you to intercede and to call out to God. And when you are tired, you make sure that you have two or three friends to hold your arms up and we will prevail. If you are a dad and you are the head of your home and there is craziness and chaos going on, then you get off your tail and you pray and and, and take that authority that God has for you. If you work in a business and you're a business owner and there's difficulty going on your business, where is the glory of God? You're there in the glory of God. If you live in a neighborhood and you don't like what's going on in your neighborhood, have you prayed over your neighborhood before you left your neighborhood. All you're doing is leaving it to the devil twice as much as when you were there. At least your presence is there. Pray and take your authority in that place. If you have a little cubicle at work, that's your place of authority. If you are on a sports team, that's your place of authority. If you're a coach, wherever you are, every person in this room and every person listening online, you have an influence by the grace of God, by the Spirit of the Lord, to take ground from the enemy where he has you. You've been given this general authority, but you also have a missional authority in the space that God has given you. That means we need you. We need you alive. We need you looking to God. We need you trusting in God. And when you're weary, we need you to call us. And we need to be, have people lifting your arms up because we need the goodness of God to be seen in our city. We need the goodness of God to be seen in our families. We need the goodness of God to be seen among our friends. And we need the goodness of God to be seen among the unbelieving world. And you and I are that key in that answer if we believe and um, not only believe, but we stand the authority that God's given us. When I do sermons like this, when I think about this, I think, and just hang with me, I'm thinking, man, I've wasted some years. Man, I've wasted some time wallowing around in self-pity, blipping out like, I wonder what's going on, you know? Uh, Pulling the sovereignty of God card instead of getting off my tail and fighting for the victory that he has. And what I want to say this, let me just say, I absolutely believe in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, we are saved by grace alone. In the sovereignty of God, though, God has chosen to partner with man to accomplish his purpose through friendship and submission to him. In his sovereignty, he has set up that we would respond to him and walk with him so that victory comes as a friendship and a partnership, not just as, well, God will do whatever he'll do. Yes, he will. He will ultimately return. But it says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. So us preaching the gospel creates the environment for him to return. Yes, God wants your kids to flourish. I, I mean, at least in the spirit realm. God wants victory for your family, but you gotta partner with him. God wants victory in our city, but you gotta partner with him. God wants righteous politicians, but a politician has to partner with him. God wants righteous businesses, righteous moms, righteous dads. It is the sovereignty of God that he set up a partnership with mankind. It's not whatever happens, whatever happens. Victory is the Lord's, and we're called to bring victory into our space, into the place that He's given us. That went in the first service. you got that, uh, A little extra blessing. All right, so then a couple other thoughts here. They stayed until they prevailed. How many times have you pulled out early when God asked you, wanted you to stay in there to the victory? Now, listen, let's take the heaviness out. We talked a lot about the grace of God in the midst of our failures and challenges. But let me just say it this way. God's put an assignment on your life. Then walk the assignment out. I uh, just saw my dear brother, I was going to say precious, but I don't think I've ever called you precious. So I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> But my brother got saved at Baylor, and he started praying for our whole family to be saved. He started praying for my mom to be saved. I jokingly tell the story, it was I think it was two years before I came to the Lord, I think I was the next one to come to the Lord, and uh, he, would, uh, he would ask if he could pray at Thanksgiving dinner, and he would pray the four spiritual laws. Lord, I thank you that you have a wonderful plan for our lives, but we have sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. And we're like, what in the world is he praying? What is he saying? Um, But he was that committed to preaching the gospel and to praying for all of us to be saved. All of our brothers and sisters are saved, their spouses, many of the uh, grandkids. And my mom, 40 years of prayer, she got saved two months before she passed at 89 years old. That's persevering. I'm going to honor my brother for standing with me, standing with our family, and standing all the way through and not giving up. That does not mean an anxiety-driven life. That does not mean that we are um, uh, uh, anxious about this. It just means, all right, Lord, today, in the name of Jesus, I present mom to you. I present dad to you. Today, I resist the devil and call him the glory of God. Today, I ask for a breakthrough. Today... Build your house, O oh God. Today, would you give victory personally? Today, I'm calling in the reinforcement. Today, I'm resting in Christ. We're just always in it until the victory comes because God has victory for the people of God. Because that's who he is. One, one person asked, well, what about the, the places where we didn't see a victory or whatever? That doesn't nullify God as the victorious one. It literally does not do anything to the nature and character of God. It just means, hey, we live in a broken world, we dust off, and we get back up because there's another victory coming. All right, gotta gotta close this deal here. So verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses after the victory, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, the Lord is my victory, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation, basically saying God will have victory over sin, generation to generation to generation, because he is the victorious one, there is always grace. Well, i end with one story. Many of you are familiar with um, Jim and Carol Simbola. They are pastors of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. Some of you guys know the music of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. If you don't, I highly encourage you to listen to their worship and their praise and the music. The beauty of, of their music is that in the 1980s, God gave Carol supernaturally the gift of music. She did not have any training. Her ability to pull together and orchestrate hundreds of people to sing for the glory of God is fascinating. It's won Grammy awards in both secular and sacred places. It's been honored in in every direction, but they give all the glory to God. Well, in the middle of kind of their church growing to multiple thousands of people and their music going worldwide, uh, one of their daughters began to drift. She would say this. She said, by the time I was 16 years old, um, I had gotten tired of the church music and it was secular music and movies, uh, that began to make me wonder about another life, another way to live, another lifestyle that would start fairly innocent, but got very, very dark and into many, many secrets. And after two years of rebellion, she left the house and they had not seen her for many months. So this couple that loved God, who loved their family, were faithful to them, had a prodigal daughter. And they were so distraught that Carol had quit coming to church. She was sick in her body. She didn't know what to do. They were at a Tuesday night prayer meeting in 1991. And uh, one of the dear friends in the church came up to Pastor Symbala, slipped in a little note, note of prayer. I think we need to stop the meeting and pray for Chrissy. Because God wants a breakthrough today. And he said, You know, I was out of tears. I was out of, I, 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 I didn't know what to do. And so I called my associate pastor over and I said, You know, would you pray? I, I can't even know what to say. He said, Well, tell us how to pray. And for the first time, Jim shared with the whole congregation. He said, My daughter's far away from God. She's in dark places. We never would have thought. We're out of tears. We're out of prayers. We don't know what to do. Pastor's going to now pray. I'm just going to turn it over to him. And the way that Jim Simla describes, he says, that prayer meeting turned into a labor and delivery room. They all held hands, 1,700 of them that Tuesday night, and began to wail and to intercede as if they were birthing a child or rebirthing a child calling her home and praying and crying out to God and somewhere in the evening they had such a sense of victory that they began to shout victory and they realized God has heard the prayers they prevailed through and the victory has been won and as they proclaim that victory Jim gets home that night he tells Carol, it was an incredible prayer for me. this happened and said she's coming home, the victory's already been won and of course his wife's saying hey I wasn't there and man we have had hopes before, I, I don't know 32 hours later, Jim's up in the morning and he's shaving and his wife is screaming from downstairs as Chrissy's come home. And she's in the living room when Jim comes down the stairs on all fours, rocking back and forth and said, forgive me, forgive me for rebelling against God. Forgive me for rebelling against you, mom and the church. Just forgive me, forgive me. Will you forgive me? Will you take me back? I need to come home. And she's rocking there in her pain and the confession of her sin. Of course, they just scoop her up, wrap their arms around her, weep with her. When they kind of get together and sit at the kitchen table, uh, Chrissy says this question, who was praying for me on Tuesday night? And Jim said, well, I never do this. I want you to know I covered you the whole time, but we, we called the whole church to pray. She said, I went to bed really distraught that night and I had a dream and in the dream, I'm going 95 miles an hour and I'm going right off the cliff and I know it's the end of my life and a hand grabs me as I'm going over the cliff and I know it's the Father, I know it's God and I feel so ashamed and so guilty. Oh no, all all that I've done. And he said, and all I felt was love and all I felt was forgiveness and grace. And she begins to come unglued again realizing the father only has one motive, to get all the kids back home. And as he tells that story, and I've reread it a few times, I'm just touched again by the grace of God. Well, Chrissy would um, not only be restored, but she would get the same gift that her mom has as a musician, untrained. You'd marry a pastor. They pastor a church in the Chicago area, ministering to the Lord and been faithful to God for all these years since then. But it was the prayers of the saints. It was the partnership of God to pull people free. We need each other. We need God. We need each other. And I wondered this morning, just in this moment, if you don't need somebody to stand with you right now. It could be something small to something large. But if you need somebody to stand with you, would you just boldly stand? You say, I'm believing for a son or a daughter, brother, or sister. I have a personal need. I can't make it on my own anymore. I need help. Would you please just boldly stand? Don't just stand. You're standing for those that you love. There's no guilt or shame in this. There's reality for all of our lives along the way. We need each other. Thank you for standing. Stay standing, please. Now, here's what I need. I need folks around them to get around them. And what I want you to do is, if you're standing, and I'm just going to ask you to be bold, I just need you to start lifting your hands to the Lord. If you're standing, start lifting your hands to the Lord. And I need people to get around everybody. Don't let anybody, come on, guys, get out of your chairs. If you're a believer, you know what to do. Just put your hand under their elbow, on their right or left, and you begin to pray for them. You don't even have to, they don't need to tell you even what the need is. They're, you're welcome to, but they don't need to. Would you just get under them today? Would you put your hand under their elbow? Would you let them know God's with them and you're with them? Don't leave them alone right now. Oh, Holy Father, in this moment of hunger and humility, we ask for grace. Grace. We're lifting our arms to you. come on don't let anybody be left alone. please get, look around make sure that everybody has somebody holding their arms up right now and you just pray pray what you would want for your own life whatever your own needs are or could be. It could be a physical need of course relational, it could be emotional. Whatever's needful would you just pray grace, pray hope, pray breakthrough, pray strength and encouragement.